0: We don't really like to see the stories of God and his judgment and his justice on the world, but without these stories, we don't have much of a weight behind our faith. And if there's anything that we need now and today, it's these stories as a constant reminder of a God who fights for us. How are we ever gonna get a hold of the struggles of our anger if we don't understand the God who is angry? How can we be like him if we don't understand? his fury towards sin. Today on the Songtime broadcast, we'll continue our study in Psalm 83, looking at this imprecatory prayer. We'll talk about why this is such an important study, why we need to look at these imprecatory prayers because they teach us the serious nature of sin and how it affects God first and foremost. Stay tuned for that, but first, we're joined once again by Mark Jones as we talk about what the Puritans can teach us about the subject of sin. And many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. The doctrine of sin is a neglected teaching in the church today. And that's been the conversation we've been having with Mark Jones this week. He's written a book called Knowing Sin, Seeing a Neglected Doctrine Through the Eyes of the Puritans. As a result, uh, we don't have a great understanding. This week we're looking at Psalm 83, an imprecatory psalm, and we often skip over a lot of these psalms, even in conservative churches that say that they preach the whole counsel of God. Trust me, I scoured the internet. I looked for uh, sermons on these passages, and uh, many churches that even preach on the psalms to begin with often skip over these. They, they choose the songs of lament or the songs of praise, overlooking the imprecatory Psalms that deal with the justice and the judgment of God. Why? Because we have a hard time dealing with sin and anger and parsing it out biblically. That's why Mark Jones has been helping us, breaking it down. And Mark, you talk about how you got a lot of this from your study with the Puritans. The Puritans have a unique history, not only uh, in their writings, but also as as a part of our national history. So explain to us a little bit about the Puritans and how they informed your understanding of your book, Knowing Sin.
1: Some people, you know, immediately discard the Puritans. It's a scary word, and they've heard all of the usual um, scare stories regarding the Puritans, which, you know, mostly aren't true, but some might be. Uh, I think for me, the Puritans were pastors, generally pastors. They were very well educated. They were sophisticated theologians. They, um, many of them had a very uh, powerful way with language. Thomas Watson and um, Stephen Charnock, John Owen, Goodwin, those guys, they just had ways of describing sin where it's orthodox, but it's colorful. Hmm. So for me, the, the, the colorful orthodoxy of the Puritans stands out compared to other eras that I've read in and admittedly not as widely in other eras. But, you know, I've done quite a bit of work in 18th century Reformation, early church, I just find maybe the early church fathers would be as colorful as the Puritans, but the Puritans were a bit more precise with the scholastic vocabulary they had with sin, so that's why I liked the the Puritans.
0: Mm. Now, you did mention that some people kind of recoil uh, at at the Puritans, and um, you've covered that correctly, I think, but... uh, uh, for some reason I think that the issue that we're dealing with now is why people are so soft on sin is because they they want to avoid the perception of being too harsh or even legalistic on mm-hmm. the, the issue of sin um, that kind of reaction to the Puritans that some people might have actually leads to a complete you know pendulum swing in the opposite direction
1: yeah I think I uh, you know, I sympathize with the initial instincts there, but the, the, the fact is, as I try to highlight in the book, that some of God's greatest declarations of His grace come right in the same context of mankind's declaration or God's declaration of mankind's sin. So whether it's it's Exodus 33, whether it's Isaiah 6, whether it's Psalm 51, um, you, you find Genesis 3, you find that, and Romans 3, that it's bad when you look at it in terms of humanity's problem of sin, but it's a glorious when you look at God's grace in light of that. So, I think you can't lose when you take a biblical approach to this uh, topic.
0: I think it's important as well that uh, we understand the fact that we we probably, in our limited perception, don't have a biblical view of sin, even for, for many Bible scholars. We're, we're uh, we don't hate sin nearly as much as God hates sin. Uh, I've been trying to do this every year. We we go to the Psalms for our summer, and I always want to include an imprecatory Psalm in there because I really don't think that we know how to respond to sin. We don't hate sin nearly as much. Uh, we're we're more. I, I've said this before. We're more upset at the person who cut us up on our cut us off on the way to church than we are the fact that they're not coming to church. They're not worshiping the one true God and. I think in some concepts, we don't actually understand how sin how
1: terrible sin really is. Yeah, and we when we won't this side of glory ever be able to fully understand it's it's how bad it is and that's what makes Christ's ministry so remarkable is he understood how bad sin was but he still ministered to people. He still was kind to them, compassionate, patient. So it highlights also the glories of Christ in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, so to speak, um, how his graces were that much more amazing because he understood really who he was dealing with. You know, he knew what was in man, so he didn't entrust himself to man, we're told in John chapter 2. And, and he, you know, he probably had a very strong awareness of Judas's fundamental problems, and yet, I believe, had to love him. And be patient with him and, and pray with him and, and eat with him. So it, it highlights also the glories of Christ when we, we look at sin at how evil it is. He understood how really bad it was. And so how can we not then be patient and kind with people when we share in their same weaknesses?
0: We've been talking with Mark Jones about his book called Knowing Sin, Seeing a Neglected Doctrine Through the Eyes of the Puritans. It's a great resource and one that we believe you need to get a copy of. That's why we're making it available to you as a thank you for your support to the Songtime ministry for a donation of any amount. This is a great resource, one that will help us understand the seriousness of sin, but also how to combat it so that we can be conformed into the image of Christ. To get a copy of this book, please give us a call, 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or write to us at Songtime Radio, PO Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts 02630. Well, today we are continuing our study in Psalm 83. One of my sermons on this great imprecatory prayer, we're discovering why it's important for us to read these prayers. They're often neglected even in in our reading, but certainly in our preaching because we try to avoid the negative side of our faith. But without delving into that dark area, we'll never fully understand the seriousness of our sin and be able to confront it accurately and biblically and precisely. That's why these imprecatory psalms are so important. And not being able to find anyone else that was willing to preach in this psalm, I had to do it myself. So here is my continued sermon on Psalm 83. There was a lot of history here, and that history is really important. It's a reminder that this issue that they were facing is very deep. This was not a surface issue. This is an issue that permeated the soil and something that they needed to do a great deal of work if they were going to be successful and live and thrive in the land. So, what does a psalmist do? He cries out to God. That was the, that was the implication. He was implicating the people and all these nations, and now he turns to imprecating He says, do to them as you did in to the people of Midian, as to Sisera and Jabin at the river Gishon. And what he lists here is a whole series of victories and battles that are recorded in the book of Judges. The story of Gideon. You know part of the story of Gideon, don't you? Uh, Gideon put out the fleece and he wanted to know if this was really what God had called him to do in order to go and fight the Midianites and God gave him a swift victory. He had an army, a large army, but God wanted a small army, and so he whittled it down by asking the people uh, to, to drink different ways from the stream until he ended up with only 10% of his army that he had started with. But that 10% God had used to bring a great victory against the people of Midian. There's others with the Oreb and Zeb and Zeba and Zalmunna. These were... The stories of Barak and Deborah and the victories that, that God had provided for them through the time of the judges, how God had protected them. And if I was reading through these names and you're like, I don't, I don't know any of those names. I don't know any of those peoples. I don't, I don't really know any of these stories or these locations that were listed. To us, they're very obscure and to that, it's to our shame. that we don't know more of these stories. Maybe it's because we've avoided them because... We don't really like to see the stories of God and his judgment and his justice on the world. But without these stories, we don't have much of a weight behind our faith. These stories are not, they may be obscure to us, but they're not obscure to the God of the Bible. These are his actions and his activities moving throughout the times of the people, the people of God where he protected them. And if there's anything that we need now and today, it's these stories as a constant reminder of a God who fights for us. We we can't hide these stories and cut them out of our Bibles because they're scary or they're harsh or they're hard to understand. If anything, we need to press into them even more. How are we ever going to get a hold of the struggles of our anger if we don't understand the God who is angry? How can we be like him if we don't understand his wrath and his fury towards sin? These stories demonstrate that God had worked in their midst in the past. That God had worked amongst the people, even amongst the people who were, were not quite sure and ready. This was years after they had already taken the land. Years after they had already started to commingle with the inhabitants. And yet God still faithfully reminded them that He was for them and not against them. And they needed these stories just as we need these stories. A constant reminder that we can trust God. He leads us into battle and He helps us. He provides for us. He brings us the victories. These were the people who were trying to fight against God. And the thing that we must remember in this is that as the as the psalmist is writing, he's describing them not as our enemies. You and I, we have our enemies. And we bring our enemies to God and say, God, help me with my enemies. Your enemies could be a lot of different things. It can be the people in your neighborhood. Maybe you have a fence line that you're debating with your neighbor. Um, maybe it's the person who sends you. Uh, glitter cards cards with glitter on it that they're horrible those are the wicked people of God they should know better they're doing it on purpose I know this by now or maybe it's the people in the other political party They're your enemies they're the ones who are rivals just a word of note the Bible does say for us to pray for our leaders the leaders of our nation but just remember when you're praying imprecatory prayers are prayers Who are our enemies? The people that stand against us. And that's often how we frame our prayers, isn't it? But the psalmist doesn't say that. What does he say? For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. Throughout this whole psalm, he is showing that these are the enemies of God. He has to, the psalmist has to put himself in the position of understanding how God sees the circumstances. Not how we see the circumstances, but to see it from God's perspective. To understand that these are the enemies of God. They are defying God by trying to wipe out the name of Israel. This is the name that God had given to Israel so that Jacob would have a new name and a new identity. He had given them this name and his name had been carried with them for all these generations. This is an attack on God. And it says in verse 12, let us take possession for ourselves of the pastors of God. These are people who are in defiance of God. And that is the key to understanding this. The key to understanding this psalm is that they are God's enemies, that they have sinned against God before they ever sinned against us. To have an understanding of how to see our sin and to see our anger biblically. We must first see the proper delineation of who has been harmed, who has been affected, who has been most offended. It's God. So he's praying that God and his witness and his testimony would be known to the people. He's praying for God's reputation. He's praying for God's victory. Why? We continue to read. Here are the harsh words that uh, we try to avoid. But they're here for us in an important way. Verse 13, Oh my God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind, as fire consume, consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze. So may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Why does it matter what we do in private? Why does it matter that we even impact each other and and gather together in fellowship? The early church, when they were called to gather together in fellowship, they were called to sanctify each other by the preaching of the word, but also by holding each other accountable to what is right and what is wrong. It's when the early church in those letters that Paul was writing, where they were falling into sin, they were condoning sin in their midst, that they had to be reprimanded because sin is such a pervasive problem, and one, if we neglect it, it will grow over and over again. It's a weed, and if you don't rip it up by the roots, It will continue to present problem after problem. That's why the imprecatory prayers are so important and why we're spending this entire week focused not only on the imprecatory Psalm 83, but also to to look at uh, this subject of the theology and the doctrine of sin. And we want to encourage you to delve into this a little bit more. That's why we're making Mark Jones' book, Knowing Sin, Seeing a Neglected Doctrine Through the Eyes of the Puritans, available to you as a thank you for your support to the Songtime ministry. We want you to understand the seriousness of sin, to not overlook it anymore. Maybe you've been avoiding the subject just like every one of us has. This is a great resource for you to confront it head on and to address it with the Word of God. So join with us in reading through it and and grow in your conformity to Christ as you read Knowing Sin by Mark Jones. You can write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or you can give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. don't forget to tune in again tomorrow as we continue to break down this teaching on sin in this imprecatory psalm. We'll, We'll see how to address it ultimately by first looking to Jesus Christ. We cannot be glib about our sin. Israel serves as one of the greatest metaphors to not dealing with sin. They kept falling and their hearts were constantly being pulled away from God. It's a reminder to us that sin must be dealt with and it must be dealt with effectively. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Psalm 85, four and seven. Restore us again, O God of our salvation and put away your indignation toward us. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation.